Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of the Women of the Expanse podcast. I am your host, Didi Jennings. Episode 9 of Season 5 is called Winnipesaukee, the place where Clarissa has identified a suborbital ship that will get her, Amos, and Eric's crew to Luna. It is also the name of the largest lake in New Hampshire, a state in northeastern USA. It's a popular tourist site for people living in Boston and New York. We got way too much Amos again. I am souring on y'all's fan favorite this season. Sorry, not sorry. And still not near enough Bobby Draper. Avasarala manages to step down from Pastor's cabinet and still come up in the end. And Naomi is still being a hero despite limited resources. Believe it or not, I have more pages of notes for this episode than I did for Hard Vacuum. So with all that said, let's talk about what the Women of the Expanse did in Season 5, Episode 8, Winnipesaukee. Corral. Corral gives a report to Marco via tight beam from the DeWalt, drummer's ship. Marco's just received a report on the casualties from a battle against the Inners, with four deaths of Golden Bow allies. So he's probably not in the best mood, although he says the losses were worth the price. Who says this about people's lives? Carl says there is a problem with the Chetsmoka, which they continue to monitor on Marco's orders. Carl plays the changed distress call to Marco to his extreme frustration in my extreme satisfaction. I love it when people thwart his plans, especially when it's Naomi. Corral demands that Oksana not tell Kamina that Naomi could be alive. She is waiting on orders from Marco, and the crew of the DeWalt is expected to follow them. Bobby Draper Bobby and the pilot of the Rosinante noticed the change in Chet the Chetsmoka's distress call. The message went from Naomi saying she wasn't in control to an edited message saying that she was in control. Bobby lists several reasons why the message could have changed. She possibly wasn't in a place where she could speak freely. She could be injured or can't get to a microphone or doesn't have full access to comps. And if you think about it, all these guesses are right. Bobby Draper, psychic Martian detective. Somebody make that show. They're still determined to get to the Chetsamoka because they don't know that the ship is a bomb. And they are still closer to it than Holden is on the Rossi, so they'll probably get to Naomi first. Whether that's a good or a bad thing, we will find out in the season finale. Clarissa Mao. Clarissa takes a helicopter from Baltimore to Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. Eric's heavily armed crew follows Amos, looking for a way into the hangar. 
Shouldn't they be following Clarissa, since she knows the most about this place? Eric asks Amos if he knows how to fly this ship when they find it, but he doesn't. Clarissa does. The crew finally follows Clarissa. Eric asks Amos if he knows how to fly this ship when they find it, but he doesn't. Clarissa does. The crew finally follows Clarissa toward the ship when they are stopped by members of the house's winter staff. They saw that the helicopter Clarissa and crew flew in on wasn't marked as a UN shuttle. Figuring they were here to steal from the house they hid out in the hangar. Clarissa tries to defuse the situation as Eric's crew have a bunch of guns pointed at the winter staff. She introduces herself and tells them that her family had a house on the island. The cook actually remembers her and that she and her and Julie came to Thanksgiving one year and fought the whole time. Eric breaks up the reunion, eager to get on the ship, and because he's an asshole. Speaking of assholes, the family who owns the house left a few months ago, abandoning the winter staff. They say the ship is capable of getting to the moon, but it hasn't been flown in at least two years due to a problem with the reactor. Clarissa convinces Amos and Eric to help, as the staff from other houses on the island look to them for help off the planet. It will be an uncomfortable fit, but it's a short ride, Clarissa says. The guys continue to protest. But Clarissa tells them if they want her help fixing the ship, they leave no one behind. Another group of islanders, this group has guns, tries to shake down the crew for supplies and their helicopter. Clarissa stands in front of the security crew to keep Eric's crew from shooting them. Now I respect that Clarissa wants to do this without bloodshed. But her good intentions don't matter if someone else wants a fight. She finishes working out the issues with the ship's electrical system, while Eric has worked his magic on the ship's software to make Amos the registered owner of the ship. The ship still won't start. She admits that she doesn't know why Amos calls her Peaches. It's probably because her fake name was Melba when she was trying to kill Holden. She starts to ask why Eric calls Amos Timmy, but Eric doesn't recommend following through on that. Eric pushes back on bringing all these staff people on the ship, but Clarissa says that adding more people makes them stronger. If we decided to include everyone in our tribe without demanding that they prove we need them, maybe people wouldn't have thrown rocks at us in the first place. Points were made, Clarissa. Points were made. It's hard to believe that this new pacifist philosophy is coming from Jules Pierre Mao's daughter. Amos finds a fix for the mechanical systems, and they're ready to leave in 15 minutes. But almost as, as if they had a bug on the ship or a mole among the winter staff, the fake-ass security crew is back, and this time they shoot him. They've got snipers in the trees who kill a number of Eric's crew. And some of the runner cops get into the hangar 
and Clarissa has to activate her body mod to keep them from killing everyone trying to board the ship. Exhausted from all the effort, she barely manages to get to the, sh the ship in the air, and they leave Earth. Hutch. Hutch leads Eric's crew that is guarding the house. They share a flask of liquor they got from the pantry by opening it with a rock. They're having doubts about leaving Earth and starting over. Amos tries to dispense some wisdom. Then Amos gets an idea for how to, how to fix the ship. The distraction that Hutch provided helped Amos solve the mechanical problem. Thanks, Hutch. They get hit during the shootout with the security crew, but make, make it to the ship. Hopefully they will wake up on Luna. Christian Avasarala Christian Avasarala is on her way to a cabinet meeting when she sees a man pulling a name with a message from his hand terminal to a large digital memorial for the souls lost in the asteroid attacks on Earth. Then she hears people clapping as they watch the new feeds of the strike on Palace Station. Christian is furious. She finds Admiral Delgado and cusses him out. You went behind my back, she says. Felix tells her that Pastor merely asked him for his opinion and he gave it. As they enter the meeting, other cabinet members are suggesting other places to strike, like an arsenal on Callisto or a Tycho station. Pastor wants to expand the palace initiative. Christian thinks that the palace strike should be spun as a limited military objective. She wants it made clear that we are not at war with the entire belt. Felix disagrees. Pastor is about to respectfully disagree with Christian as well, but she cuts him off. Inaros is an extremist, a rogue element, as much of a danger to his own people as he is to us and we cannot let him frame this any other way. Pastor continues to be patronizing to Christian, saying that she's upset because he didn't tell her about his decision to attack Palace. The military members of the cabinet are stuck on retaliation, but Christian pointedly asks if Marco is their role model now, since they want to do everything that he does. The Belters are not one nation, Christian continues. We can exploit that. She suggests making allies with factions not aligned with Anaros and join them in a common cause. Pastor says diplomacy takes time that they don't have. He says that their job is to make Earth safer and reduce the enemy's ability to hurt the planet. Christian wants the same thing. She even gives shades of season one of Sorella when she admits that she dreams of putting Marco on hooks and watching him gasp for air because he murdered my husband. Everyone left on Palace is feeling the way Christian feels. So for every partisan Earth killed, they made ten more. Pastor uses that moment to call Christian emotional. He tells her we have to be rational and objective as if these revenge strikes are anything but emotional. Then Pastor and the military members of the cabinet continue talking over her 
about next targets for military strikes. Felix suggests Ceres Station. This scene made me very angry. I suspect that many women in politics are treated this way, or women in any area of work. But why did he even ask Christian to join his cabinet if he was just going to play these games? Christian objects by noting that there are millions of people, thousands of children on Ceres. The cabinet proceeds to talk over her as if she weren't even in the room. Christian finally has had enough. She steps down from the cabinet and leaves the meeting. Several other cabinet members follow suit. Later, Christian finally adds Arjun's name to the digital memorial with the message, If life transcends death, then I will search for you there. She's met at the memorial by a member of the military named Tesfe. Tesfe tells Christian that more cabinet members resigned and that the UN is scheduling a no-confidence vote for the next morning. Christian is worried that Tesfe is planning a coup but Tesfe merely wants to know if Christian wants to be nominated for the security general position. She must have said yes because the next time we see her, she's in Delgado's office asking him to be a part of her cabinet. I don't like the choice since Felix has let her down at least twice this season and will likely do it again. I trust you and you're not afraid of me, Christian says. Okay. Delgado wants to join a strike group, but Christian argues he hasn't been in combat for 20 years. He says he wants to be the one who kills Inaros, and Christian tends to push military types away. She gets him to finish the joke he started in episode 2 or 3. It used to be funnier, Felix remarks, as they tap their glasses together. Kamina Drummer. Kamina is on the Dewalt listening to Marco's orders with regard to the Chetsamoka. They are to meet up with the Serial Mall in Koto to intercept the Rossi and destroy it. That is the first and only priority, according to Marco, who is acting on reason and not at all on emotion. If y'all could see how hard I'm rolling my eyes right now. Corral makes a belter battle, battle cry and Drummer's crew give the weakest response ever. They are obviously not feeling these orders. They are pirates, not soldiers. Drummer tells Corral that the orders make no sense, especially since she was told that the Rossi was flying into a trap. Corral says that the Free Navy wants to be seen killing the Rossi, since it has become a symbol of assimilation and compromise. Too much of what Corral says seems to come from one of Marco's speeches, and I can't believe she's foolish enough to believe all of his rhetoric. Neither does Kamina. When Corral threatens Kamina, she looks at her family and stands down. She gives Oksana her gun after a little debate. Oksana is about to leave for the mission when Kamina confronts her, sure that she is hiding something. Marco killed Clace Ashford, and I sat on my hands and played nice with him, so you would be safe. He killed a woman I loved, and now he wants me and mine to murder her friends, 
and I go along again. How much shit do I have to eat before you treat me with some respect? Oksana finally tells Drummer that there's a chance Naomi is still alive on the Chetsmoka. Marco wants them to get to the Rossi before they can help her. Oksana urges Drummer to realize that she can't save Naomi without dooming her crew, her family. Naomi Nagata Naomi makes another trip to the airlock to scrape ice chips from the machinery. There is no food or water on the Chetsamoka, but she is determined to stay alive and warn her friends away from the ship. Marco twists Naomi's heroic efforts on the Chetsamoka as a second abandonment of Philip because he is the most manipulative person in the soul system. Naomi manages to reprogram a display to show her if anyone is approaching the ship. She sees the Razorback or Screaming Firehawk very close by and laughs, then screams at Marco for setting this trap that looks like it may work despite all she's doing to stop it. She cries tears of frustration. Then she gets another idea and heads out toward the airlock again. The last sound heard in the episode is Naomi banging on something in the ship. Guess we'll find out what her plan is during the season 5 finale of The Expanse. That's it for the 7th episode of the Women of the Expanse podcast. If you'd like to comment, you can contact Black Girl Squee on Twitter or email blackgirlsquee at gmail.com and put Women of the Expanse in the subject line. You can also find this and all episodes on blackgirlsquee.simplecast.com. Thanks for listening.